Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. I don't know, I was with my 14-year-old grandson. I don't feel very modern today, girls. Um, I'm so behind the ball in so many areas of this culture. But one thing I'm not behind in, and that is understanding how these relationships are formed. God, to me, marital relationship, friendship relationships. And I've been thinking about that a lot. We may talk a little bit about relationships in the fall. But one of the things that popped into my head a few weeks ago and has not left me is this notion that when I read something, when I hear something, when I attend a lecture or a sermon, I walk away from whatever it is. I don't say it out loud, but internally, I think... I want to share that with you. And so the other day, that thought came to my mind, and I, I, I sat down with it. I sat down with it in a piece of paper, and I thought about it. So I wrote a book um, 20 years ago now, plus maybe, and it was called Finding a Mentor, Being a Mentor. And it was about what it takes to be a woman who invests in the next generation. And when I was doing my research for that, and it continues to maintain any time I'm asked to speak on that subject, or a church calls me in to help them set up something, well, if I'm the mentor, which, by the way, is not a word found in the scripture, it comes from a human being's name, Odysseus, when he went off to fight the Trojan War, left his young son at home with a man whose name was Mentor. And when he came back from fighting the wars, Mentor had, quote-unquote, mentored his son, and the word grew from there. So it's a, it's a viable word in literature, it's a viable word in scripture by virtue of relationships, but it, it was new to the church, it was new to being used in the church. But what was always the first question, well, if, she, if I'm the mentor, who is she? And that was the mentee. Um, Elizabeth Elliott and I talked about not having a mentoring program, but she called it a what program. What? And she used to say it that emphatically. And I would say, whatever in the world is a what? And she would say, women of Titus 2. And I would say, Elizabeth, no one's going to join a what program. And we would laugh. We laughed about that many times. So Mentors for Mothers was created because we were older women encouraging moms. But the phrase that was created during the writing of that book was, who are these women to you, Donna? And they're very, there are many of them, and most of you know that I had one biological daughter. But these women are what came to be called in my world, daughters of my heart. D-O-H's, almost as bad as Watts. Daughters of my heart. And think about that for a moment. Are you somebody's daughter of their heart? I was. I have been. I am. Do you have some daughters of your heart? And you say, well, I'm too young to be a mentor. Well, I don't know. The girl next door has an infant baby and you have a four-year-old. I think you have a lot of things to talk to her about. We're always older than someone. And I think we have to be willing to, and this is my definition of mentoring, this is my definition, giving your life perspective away.
and my life perspective has changed through the years. So I thought all that through and I thought, I haven't met you, but I often pray for you. I always think of you. My producer and I were just talking about how many times through the course of every day I think, well, that would be interesting work. And how recently someone, do you ever run out of ideas? And I think, no, I never run out of ideas because the whole world is full of new things. And I read a lot. I attend a lot of lectures. I study a lot. I never run out of good ideas. And you are all daughters of my heart. Now, if you're a man, I guess you'll be a son of my heart. I don't have many of those, but I do a few. And I want to tell you that it's most often you I think of. Who will I share this with? It's you. So today I have two or three things and I'm breaking the rhythm. This will be a little longer show. I'm going to end with 30 ways to declutter. But I'm going to read to you a couple of things that came to me. One of them is very old in my records. It's very old in my treasures of things. It was very profound to me. And it was written by Jeanette Clift. That may not be a name you know, but if you have never seen the film, The Hiding Place, Jeanette Clift was the woman, the actress, who played Corrie Tim Boom. And she was a lovely woman, a lovely woman, and I believe she wrote two books. And one of them was... Um, something about the traveler's traps. And this was, this came to my attention because when this was written, I was still struggling. Do you struggle with putting a name tag on? Oh, I still don't like name tags. They sort of mess up my outfit. And even if it's just sticky tape on it, and then where do I put it? Over my right chest? You girls, you know what I'm talking about. On my left chest or on my forehead. You've all done it. You put it on your hip. You put it on your purse. You put it on the back of your notebook if you're in a seminar. They're, but they're very important. They're very important. And so she writes the joy of being who you are. A few paragraphs. An incident in my life clarified for me the value of true name text. About six years ago, I was speaking at a luncheon held in the civic auditorium of a city in Oklahoma. It was obvious that great care had been taken for planning the event. About 400 well-dressed women were seated at tables made festive by tablecloths, improvised with pink-bordered bedsheets, been there. I settled myself at my place at the head table and heard the luncheon chairman announce that the centerpieces and the tablecloths would be for sale. A small murmur echoed her words as the lady discussed which centerpieces and cloth would be purchased by the ladies. I picked up my fork and I noticed two rose-petaled radishes adorned my salad. Someone had taken the time to pretty up two radishes for me, I thought. Then I noticed that each salad at the head table had two neatly curled radishes. I knew the group hosting the luncheon had prepared the meal and was impressed that the extra touch had been added not only for me, but for the table of honored guests. I turned to the lady sitting at my right, who was at that moment looking over her notes for introductions of various people on their agenda. I'm impressed by the radishes, I said. She looked at her notes to see if this quirk of impression was referred to in my biography. It wasn't. You're impressed by what, she asked? The radishes, I said. Look, each salad plate at our table has curled radishes. 
Yes, she said, exercising a smile that must have been standard for dealing with unorthodox speakers. They're pretty, she said. They're more than pretty, I said. Someone taking special care to do these. Don't they all have them, she said, gazing out at the tables. I looked and I was astonished. As far as I could see, each salad plate was adorned with two curled radishes posing in the fringe of the lettuce. My table partner abandoned her list to glean fresh information about this subject. Do you like radishes, she asked. <laughs> yes, but that's not the point, I said. They're curled. That's hundreds of radishes. That took a lot of time. The lady to my right seemed to be bewildered by my enthusiasm for radishes, so I explained. I only do curled radishes for very special occasions, and never more than for a few people. It's an extra nicety and quite appreciated. Well, she said, I'm not on the planning committee, but Gertrude is. I'll, I'll, be, I'll ask her about it. She turned her attention to Gertrude, who was three chairs down, who was at this time looking at the soprano soloist and her accompaniment. And, and I said, oh, oh, don't bother her. I can take care of this later. Oh, it's no bother, she said. She whispered and leaned over the lady who designed the center paces, over the lady who was in charge of the nursery, and the connect to get to the lady who was in charge of the radishes. Mrs. George would like to know about the radishes. The what, she said, and I said, the radishes, spelling the word out loud. The lady in charge of designing the centerpieces, thinking I was saying something about her work, smiled at me as her tongue dislodged a bit of parsley from her front teeth. The other lady, the lady in charge of the nursery, looked at the radishes one by one. I no longer cared, but I had started this. It looked like I was going to have to finish it. Is there something wrong with the radishes, Gertrude asked as she came around, kneeling next to me. No, no, they're fine. I just thought it was nice to have them all curled. Oh, Marietta does that. All of them, I said? Yes, she says that's her contribution. She and her children did them yesterday, and she brought them early morning in a freezer chest. I knew the head count in the room, and I was astonished. That was almost 800 radishes. Yes, but Maria wants to do it. Would you like to meet her? She's in the kitchen. No, so Gertrude and I had to get up, and we went to the kitchen, and there I met Marietta, the lady of the radishes, who was wearing a pink print apron over a dark green cotton dress with a white Peter Pan collar that had Kitty embroidered on it. She was sitting at the round table with the other ladies who had served lunch. Her gray hair was short and looked like a tight wool cap. As we walked around, all the ladies joined in greeting Gertrude, while Marietta smiled at us, obviously wondering why all the attention was directed to her. We were introduced amid the frittering of the ladies offering me biscuits or coffee. Don't you wonder where this all's going? You'll love it. Is your nickname Kitty, I asked? No. I noticed the name on your collar. Oh, this is my daughter's dress. I borrowed it for the party. Gertrude tells me you curled all these radishes. They're lovely. Each salad looks so festive. I don't mind doing it. It just takes time. I didn't know what more to say, so I left. After thanking the other ladies for their work on the luncheon, Gertrude and I went back to the table. I finished our meal. Announcements were made. The singer sang, Someone won a hand-crocheted telephone book cover for having the most postage stamps in her purse. Have you been there, ladies? I have. Another lady won a centerpiece for driving the farthest for coming to the meeting. I spoke. There was an encouraging response. Afterward, the ladies scurried past me with murmured greetings, and a few lingered to speak of God in their lives. 
The tables were already being cleared. Money for the centerpieces were being counted. When my hostess borrowed an umbrella, it was raining heavily, so we hurried across the parking area to the car. Through the rain, I could see a lady carrying a large red and green polka dot umbrella that had collapsed on one side, waiting by her car. A small, misty waterfall was tumbling from the bright dots. It was Marietta. She was smiling as though she had been found on a sunny day in an especially delightful garden. Marietta, I called her. What are you doing? You're getting soaked. She ignored my banal proclamation of the obvious and said, I had to see you. I heard your speech. It was very good. My hostess was hastily unlocking the car doors. I interrupted Marietta. Get inside. We can talk on the way to the airport. Oh, no, she said. I have to go home. I slipped inside the car. Marietta crouched down close to the window, holding the working parts of our umbrella over her head and called to me. Just remember this. You keep telling people about Jesus. And I'll keep curling the radishes. The rain of my tears splattered the picture of her face as we started the car and backed out of the driveway. Nothing of that moment has faded in my memory. She and I waved to each other so long as we were joined in view. And dear Marietta, I haven't forgotten. We are to do our two jobs in the love of him who does all things well. So between the lady who makes the speeches, that would be me, daughters of my heart, and the lady who makes the radishes, that would not be me. There's no dilemma of false name tags, only the true delight of fellowship. What a simple yet powerful concept. What's your name tag? What has God called you to do? I'd really like to know. And if you want to send me a letter and tell me oh, what you think God's calling you to do and tell me how you're engaging in becoming whatever that is, if it's a radish lady or a speaker lady or anything in between. Well, we had Memorial Day this weekend, and there was a love letter for Memorial Day and for all the ages in the newspaper. And it was written by Sullivan Baluz. He was the writer of it. And uh, it was a few paragraphs written during the war, um, the Civil War, of course. He was a major in the Union Army about to enter the first great battle of the Civil War. Sullivan Ballou settled into his tent in one of the loveliest spots on earth. It was the National Arboretum in Washington, D.C., and wrote a letter to his wife and generations to come. When he finished, this 32nd, 32-year-old officer, lawyer, former speaker of the Rhode Island House of Representatives, placed the letter in a trunk with other belongings and trooped off to Bull Run. Is that familiar to you, Civil War buffs? In battle, he was struck by a cannonball and died a week later from his wounds. In 1990, this missive became an American most famous love letter when Ken Burns featured it in his landmark PBS documentary called The Civil War. The original letter follows. My very dear Sarah, the indications are very strong that we shall move in a few days, perhaps tomorrow. Lest I should not be able to write again, I feel impelled to write a few lines that may fall under your eye when I shall be no more. I have no misgivings about or lack of confidence in the cause of which I'm engaged, and my courage doesn't falter or halt. 
I know how strongly American civilization now leans on the triumphs of the government and how great a debt we owe to those who have gone before us with blood and suffering of the revolution. This is a letter written during the Civil War, in case you forgot that, ladies and men. I am willing, perfectly willing, to lay down all my joys in this life to help maintain this country and to pay that debt. Sarah, my love for you is deathless. It seems to bind me with mighty cables that nothing but omnipotence could break. And yet my love of country comes over me like a strong wind and bears me unresistibly on with all the chains to this battlefield. The memories of the blissful moments I've spent with you come creeping over me, and I feel most gratified to God and to you that I've enjoyed them for so long. Hard as it is for me to give them up and burn the ashes of hope for future years, when, God calling, we might still have lived and loved together and seen our sons grow up to be honorable manhood around us. I have, I know, but a few and small claims upon the divine providence, but something whispers to me, perhaps in the wafted prayer of my little Edgar, that I shall return to my loved ones unharmed. If I do not, my dear Sarah, never forget how much I love you, and when my last breath escapes me on the battle, it will whisper your name. Forgive my many faults and the many pains I've caused you. How thoughtless and foolish I have oftentimes been. How gladly would I wash with my tears every little spot upon your happiness. But, O oh Sarah, if the dead can come back to this earth and fit unseen around those they love, I shall always be near you, in the gladdest of days, in the darkest of nights. Always, always. And if there be a soft breeze upon your cheek, it shall be my breath. As the cool air fans your throbbing temple, it shall be my spirit passing by. Sarah, do not mourn me dead. Think I am gone and wait for thee where we shall meet again. Wow. Just any one of those phrases is so filled with a man of love, but more than that, a man of dedication, a man who was obviously growing, 32 years old. He already had a career, a family, and he went off to fight the Civil War. That was a very long time ago, girls. I don't know, maybe it will foster something within you as it did within me as I read it on the celebration day, Monday, May 27th, about my own dedication to my spouse, to my family, to my country, but most of all, to my Savior. And he certainly gave me all the indications that he was bound for heaven. Well, we've been talking about organization. And if you listen through all of that, I'm going to end this with 30 ways to quickly declutter. And I'm going to do it quickly. Ready? Here we go. One, discover why you have the clutter. Not enough time, too much stuff. Two, Clean the surface spaces, countertops, tops of desks, dressers. Three, discard things you hate. Four, get the stuff you need, files, containers, trash bags. Get it. Five, use labels. Keep them simple, color code them for the kids, but label things. Cut out a picture and tape it to whatever you want to label. Put it back where you got it from. I think I should just say that's six, seven, eight, nine, ten. No, it's just six. 
seven. If you buy one, throw one out. I bought a new pair of shoes just this last week, and I've listened to my own good advice, and I threw one out. Stay focused. The way we see a problem is how the problem is. Nine, ditch the junk mail. Ditch it. Don't even look at it. Ditch it right in the trash can, or as we talked about, paper, paper, send the letter that says, take me off your mailing list. Unsubscribe fast as you can the things you're getting in your email box. Ten, know thyself. Late at night, I am a goner. After 9.30, don't expect me to do anything that uses my brain maybe not even using my body. So what's your goner time? Is it 5 a.m. in the morning? Then don't start it then. But know yourself. 11. Don't be tempted. I have time for that. I could add that on. Oh, I'd really like to go over there and help Father Boyle. No, no, no. Don't be tempted. 12. Start with a spot that drives you the craziest. Is that the garage? The trunk of your car? A closet? The kitchen? Whatever it is that drives you crazy, start there. 13. Establish places for the rest of the family's junk. Dirty clothes, mail, keys, stuff like that. 14. Stop talking on the telephone. Stop talking on the text. Stop. 15. Encourage yourself. Do some little things that will make you get ahead of the game. 16. Look at every day, every hour as a new beginning. It's never too late to begin. 17. Don't let yourself go to bed without tidying up. In the morning, you'll love it. 18. Clean out the makeup drawer. Oh, you're not going to wear that lipstick. It was out of fashion then when you bought it. Get rid of it now. 19. What about prescriptions? Be careful how you dispose, especially uh, pharmaceuticals that can be dangerous to someone else. Put some joy or dawn inside the bottle and let that chemical break down the medication and then put it down the disposal. Toys for the next generation. Pack them up in boxes and say, I want my grandkids or my great-grandkids to have these. 21. Use white vinegar on everything. It smells good. It works well. 22. Take a shopping boycott. Do not shop. Do not buy until you clean the stuff out of your house. 23. Store items that work together. Together. Baking. Cooking. Store them together. 24. Newspapers, magazines, and catalogs. Delete them if you're not reading them. 25. Give away your tchotchkes. Oh my. You say to me you don't have any tchotchkes. Get up. Right now, walk through the house, you're going to see tchotchkes everywhere. Tchotchkes are things that don't really do much for your world. They have some sentimental value. How much sentiment do you want to clean next month? Mm-hmm. 26, feather dust. Buy a feather dust and feather dust your, co- your top surfaces after you've cleaned them all off. 27, remember your closet, cupboard, and cabinets are nothing more than active storage. 28, share the load. Get the kids, get your husband, get some help. 29, two times of the day, get ready for them. In the morning when they get up, get dressed and get out. In the evening when they come in, they eat and get in. 30, read. Read 15 minutes a day, put the book by your toilet. 30 ways to declutter quickly. We are talking about organization in the next few weeks before we take our summer break. And remember that we are called to change, and you can't get finished 
unless you get started. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of quickly decluttering and knowing what your name tag says. 